Welcome to the Memories of a Moonbird podcast, exploring life one story at a time. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Memories of a Moonbird podcast. I'm Daniel Sherl. Today on the show, I'm excited to have with us my friend Susie. She's a 20-year veteran flight attendant with one of the major airlines here in the United States. And today she's going to share with us some great travel advice and tips from the perspective of a flight attendant. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you. One of the main reasons I was excited to interview you was not only to hear any tips you've picked up over the years, but also how you think people can be better passengers. Before we get to that, though, let's talk a bit about you and how you became a flight attendant. So where are you from? I am originally from Oregon, grew up in a little farmland community called Banks. And uh, why did you become a flight attendant? When I was in high school, they did career uh, opportunities for seniors before graduating to give them some kind of idea as to what fields or college that they wanted to go to. And out of that career day, they had invited a representative from a major airline, and they had a flight attendant that came out and talked about all the wonderful things and opportunities and whatnot of being a flight attendant, which really intrigued me. And I thought that is something that I would absolutely love to be able to do. How long was the initial training before you're actually on a plane? At the time that I was hired, it was nine weeks of training. And then after nine weeks, you start on domestic flights, right? You could be either, well, with the nine weeks of training, it was training for both domestic and international. Before I went into training, they actually had the, they had it separate. If you wanted to do international flying, you came back and did another another two weeks of training for international flying. But at the time that I went, uh, they incorporated it. So you got both domestic and international. Is there a huge difference between what a flight attendant has to do on an international versus a domestic flight? Quite a bit, yeah. What are some of those differences? Well, the number one thing would be the um, meal services. On an international, you've got two main services. You have your um, dinner service and then you have your pre, your initial landing uh, service, which would be about an hour and a half, two hours out from landing, which would be a beverage service. So you have two full, complete meal services along with a snack service in the middle of the night. And because it is such a long flight, they do shift breaks for the flight attendants so that they can take a rest anywhere from two and a half to maybe five hours of rest, depending on the length of the the flight. So you do it in shifts. Obviously, there's probably more downtime, as it were, on a, on a longer flight than there would be on a shorter flight. Not necessarily, ah. because um, what happens is on an international flight, you have a lot of people that are not able to, to sleep throughout the night. So they're up and about in the galley requesting drinks and, you know, more snacks or how long till we land. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just you know, or people that just want to visit and converse with you. So there's really not a whole lot of downtime because we often go through the cabin every 20 to 30 minutes with water. So you're constantly busy during an international flight. So in general, then, flight attendants are working the entire flight. Correct. So do you have a favorite flight that you like to work? I would say any of the flights to China, or excuse me, to Japan. Why is that? Because of the people. 
I really love the Japanese people. They're very polite. Um, they are very much aware of personal space. <laughs> um, just um, they're not real needy people. And by that, I mean they're not constantly asking you for several things. <laughs> they're just, you know, not constantly ringing their call light button for this, that, or the other thing. Um, they're just um, a very humble, polite, and just nice people to work with. What is your favorite part of being a flight attendant? Probably the availability to see places that I would have never been able to see unless I was doing it as my job. As a 20-year veteran, I don't know how the system works of like, when you let's say you fly to Japan, do you have to turn right around and come back, or do you get some time to go explore? Um, well, back when I first started flying, our layovers were much longer than they are now. Our layovers are much shorter than what they were. <clears throat> our layovers for an international flight, again, it depends on how long the flight is, and if it's a 12 to a 14 hour flight, the layover is going to be a little bit longer. So it's anywhere from, say, 26 to 32 hours, which gives you enough time to maybe take a short nap when you first arrive and then uh, go out to eat at a nice restaurant or explore some of the area around your hotel. Back in the day when I first started flying, we, usually, we never had an international flight that had less than 36 to 42 hours of of rest and our longer flights to Sydney were like 52 hours total which gave you the opportunity to go out and explore. I've been to China and was able to explore the Great Wall mm. and just in and around Beijing and um, Chengdu and just it gives you enough time to see things close by but because they are shorter, it limits you of being able to go out and sp explore any further, unfortunately. Now, can you make a request and say, hey, I'd like to take a flight uh, to Japan, but then I want to stay there for a couple of weeks and come back later and do a little vacation kind of thing? Not as far as work. You can't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Would you encourage other younger people to look into being a flight attendant if they have a passion for travel? Yeah, it's a great opportunity to get to see the world where, you know, you can't afford to be able to go as many places and, and explore different areas that maybe you want to go to on your own. When you do go on your own, you get a discounted pr price. And also there's a lot of airlines that uh, recognize you as an uh, as a airline employee so you can get discounted rates from them also that's cool if you were going to recommend a place anywhere in the world that you think everybody should try to visit at some point in their life what's the destination that hits the top of your list for me it would be australia because the people are genuinely um nice they're they like americans <laughs> They're very accommodating, very hospitable, and just genuine people. And, of course, the whole continent of, of Australia is beautiful and exciting, and the animals are different than anywhere else, and it's just an exciting place to get to explore. And I say that because I've been there many times, and I know that there's lots of places in the world that would be, you know, fun to go to that I haven't gone to, so I can't say, oh, you should also try this, or this would be another place that I would recommend. But for me, my top place for anybody to go to would be Australia. Where's a place that you haven't been that you really want to go? I want to go to Thailand. I've heard so many wonderful things about it. 
Uh, several flight attendants that I've worked with have said that they've gone and said it's it's beautiful. There's a lot of exciting places to do there. It's inexpensive. So it's just something that really intrigued me. So that's on my bucket list. One of my next places I want to go to. Awesome. Question about the industry as a whole from, from your perspective. How did the travel business change for you after 9-11? Good question. Um, the airline industry has had to rethink their cost in what they can offer to the passengers. So it's not as... Um, so you're saying because of that financial issue, now the airlines have to reassess what they're doing and how they're going to... Because they still... Have, look, it's, at the end of the day, it's a business and they have to make money to stay in business. Correct. But have like fuel costs increased or other things like that? Is it is it, is it it's just a trickle-down issue where you know something changes at the top, like suddenly fuel is more expensive and that trickles down to the consumer? Or is it bigger than that? Well, we went through that back in the, you know, during 2008, 2009, where, yeah, the customer did feel a big uh, hike in cost for traveling. I think it also affected how our service has been really um, cut back on what we can provide for the passenger. But they're trying to come back with added benefits such as, you know, the Wi-Fi available, just different types of service other than we used to offer a great meal service and meal services on almost all of our domestic flights, which now it's mainly just snacks and beverage, unless you have a long haul. And even then with economy, it still is going to be purchased food and not a meal that's provided by the airline. We have people that haven't flown in 10, 15 years, and they go, well, I used to get a meal on this flight. Well, that's been quite a while ago. Uh, How about safety? Yeah, that's changed a lot. The flight attendants used to be able to just um, call the pilots up front in the flight deck and say, hey, want some company for a few minutes? And we would go up and just, you know, talk and visit with the pilots. And um, now, security-wise, you know, we have to be very much more aware of people coming up towards the front of the the galley at the, you know, where the door is to the cockpit or flight deck. Mm. And so we're just m- much more visually and situationally more aware. I was going to tell you, uh, when I was a kid, you used to be able to walk to the gate with whoever you were. You know, Let's say your, your mom or your brother or your girlfriend was flying. You'd go through security with them. You'd go to the gate. You'd hug them. You'd watch them get on the plane. You know, It was a very nice thing. And then when they arrived, you could go to the gate and you'd see them coming off the plane and have flowers and stuff. Obviously, since uh, 9-11, that's changed. And now you can't go through the security unless you have a unless you're a ticketed passenger do you feel like that's a good thing or a bad thing or does it really does it make a difference as far as a good thing um well it does make our security gives us an added layer of security i miss it because like it used to be fun to see families see each other for the first time in a long time or um just being able to send off a family member and say goodbye. Do you have a favorite airport after all this flying? Mm, good question. Favorite airport? Hmm. Singapore is really cool. Why is that? Uh, just the beauty of all the different artwork and everything in the airport. And um, different airports uh, offer different, you know, depending on if it's uh, international or domestic. Most of the domestic um airports are overcrowded yeah, and, and very service oriented like let's get you in and out of here you know I, I feel like in my experience traveling 
the international airports are a little more luxury hotel, whereas the domestic ones are like, we, we got we got stuff to do, man. Keep going. Get out yeah, of here. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Having been a flight attendant now for over 20 years, uh, do you have any travel tips for passengers, things maybe they could do better to make their own flight uh, a better experience and, of course, better for you guys that are working the flight? Um, yeah, there's lots of things, actually. If you're traveling with kids, always make sure that you have some snacks for them because sometimes it takes us a while to get through the cabin with our snack cart and drink cart and kids can get you know bored and so they want something so make sure that you always bring something for the kids to snack on uh travel as light as you can (laughs) bringing on two pieces of luggage um we like to see people put their smaller bags under their seats, and not everybody does that. And they want to put all of their luggage in the overhead bins, which eliminates other people that have just one piece of luggage to be able to utilize that. And then we have to gate check it. Uh, just be considerate to your other fellow passengers by, you know, putting your small duffel bags and purses and whatnot underneath the seat. That is your primary storage base. And the area above your seat doesn't mean that that is specifically for you. You're basically paying for your bags to be brought on the plane, and wherever we can find room for it is where it's going to go. That space above your seat is not designated only for you because people don't remember or don't understand that that bin space will only hold three to four rollerboards, and there's six passengers that need to put stuff in those overhead bins. So that being said, just be more aware of other fellow passengers and be considerate. Put your smaller bags underneath the seat. One thing that I talk about in my tips of airline uh, travel and especially um, etiquette inside a plane is generally asking people to just be aware of other people in general. Yeah. As a flight attendant, is there anything that you would like to see people not do that they do in a plane? (laughs) Probably the number one thing would be to go barefoot and then to walk into the lavatory. That is the grossest place. And you have no idea what is on that floor. So don't go in the lavatory in your stocking feet. Or barefoot is even worse. What's the strangest thing you've seen in your years of flying? Or one of the strangest things? One thing that comes to mind, it's not so much strange as it is inappropriately done at the wrong time and that would be uh, women who proceed to paint their toenails on the plane number one that polish is really really strong and number two that is something you don't do on the plane is paint your toenails especially putting them on the tray table and people have changed their baby's diapers on the tray tables. Now, yeah. do, you, do you walk up to people and say, ma'am, I'm going to have to ask you to please put away your toenail polish? And Yes, I've done that. I've had to do that, yeah. Because it's, it's inconsiderate for those around you. Um, number one, nobody wants to see you painting your nails. Number two, the smell is so overwhelming, and you're in a tube, and there's <laughs> nowhere else for the smell to go. That can be said for a lot of smells, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever run into cultural or or custom barriers as a flight attendant with different people from around the world? Once in a while. You have to be more aware of religious um, practices and whatnot. And what about language barriers with people that, that, let's say, don't speak English? Um, 
Uh, do you speak any foreign languages? I do not, unfortunately. I speak very uh, small amount of Spanish, <laughs> insignificant to really, I mean, I can understand it a little bit, but I can't speak it. And is that is that ever an issue? Uh, do they require multiple languages for if taking If there is a um, flight that has a lot of uh, foreigners that speak a particular language, they usually try to put a, a language speaker on that flight which is mostly for the international flights. They always have two language speakers so that if you do need to um, communicate with them, you have that person Mm. that can converse. And do you generally, you personally, do you generally work more domestic or international flights? Right now, because with only, and I say only 20 years of flying experience, I'm not considered very senior in the realm of the flight attendant uh, seniority. Well, you talk about that for a second. Explain how that how that hierarchy works, actually, for people that don't know. Well, obviously, the longer you've been working, the higher your seniority is. Our seniority system is, is, book, is um, used both for when we bid for the lines of flying that we want to fly. That's all seniority-based. If you want to fly standby or another an- airline or even just domestically, on your particular um, airline, that's seniority-based. So you might have somebody who's only been flying for five years and there's one seat available and you've been flying for 20. Well, your seniority is going to get that seat over and above them. Mm. So um, as far as flying benefits, your seniority is, you know, is everything. (laughs) Um, Seniority comes into play as far as positions that we work on on the aircraft because, again, you bid for those positions. There are some people that want to fly purser, which is paid a little bit higher. So the person that's more senior, and if they bid for it to be purser, they're going to get it over and above somebody who is less senior than them. And what's what's considered uh, like a veteran, long-time flight attendant? I would say in today's airline industry, 30 years. Wow. On average, how many days a week do you work? Probably, I would with. The way I like to bid my lines of flying, I probably work three to four days a week. And most of your domestics are flying from one state to the other and back again, correct? Mm-hmm. So you always do a turn? No, uh, our flying is incorporated into one-day trips. They could be a turn or they could be multiple uh, legs in one day. We call them triangles, say, for instance, going from San Francisco to Denver, Denver, L.A., L.A., back to San Francisco. Uh, That would be three legs in one day. Uh, You could have a two-day trip that does the same thing, only instead of coming back to San Francisco, you might lay over in Portland, and then you do Portland, Denver, uh, back to Portland. So you have a turn there, and then you go Portland, San Francisco, so you have three legs there. Uh, There's a lot of lines of flying that are built where you have two, three, four legs in one day. And it could be a one-day trip, two-day trip, three-day trip, four-day trip. And of course, with our internationals, it's just one leg and then you lay over and then one leg back. So in effect, though, the amount of miles that you've actually flown as a flight attendant in 20 years, you are also a moonbird. (laughs) (laughs) I am. I wish that uh, I would have thought of it when I first started flying to keep track of the amount of um, miles that I've flown. I think I'd be very surprised as to how many actual miles I've flown within my 20-year career. That's cool. In general, what's the travel atmosphere like today for a flight attendant? 
travel atmosphere. Uh, like comparing over over your twenty year career, do you think it's better today than it was before, or same? Or again, it kind of depends on where you're flying to, and um, there's certain routes that flight attendants don't like flying uh, because of the just overall expectation that the passengers may have. Um, I think unfortunately today, a lot of people have this feeling of entitlement. So um, they think that they're entitled for certain privileges, which we can't, we can only provide so much for our passengers. And we try to do our best. In my travel etiquette section, I actually talk about the fact that a lot of people don't seem to understand that when you buy a plane ticket, you don't own the aircraft. You're, you're merely leasing a space in a tube that is taking you very rapidly from one destination to the other. And I know we talked earlier about um I don't think people remember that if you want to go from New York to London, a plane is the only way you're going to go. Otherwise, you got a two-week boat trip and good luck getting there because storms and craziness. And and so I, I think people have, it's, it's, it's become something so, so much a part of our everyday lives that I don't think people remember what a privilege it is to actually be able to travel in the air. And um, I, I think we're lucky that we get free drinks and, and pretzels and there's kind people there offering us a pillow and a blanket if we need it and teaching us basic safety rules. And I think people ought to be just more appreciative and not as entitled. I agree with you. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that flight attendants have a hard time getting across to people that our first priority is always the safety of our customers and the safety of our crew. That always comes first. The service that we provide is just an added perk. And we try to do the best of that so that our customers want to come back. And we want to see them back. Have you ever had an in-flight emergency in all your years? Um, not. I, I've never had a um, an emergency landing, thank God, knock on wood. Um, we have had medical emergencies where we've had to land at another airport other than what we were scheduled to fly to. But as I said so far... <laughs> nothing that, you know, no emergencies, thank goodness. Hope it stays that way. Yeah. Uh, what would you say to people that have a fear of flying? Just that the the turbulence is normal. I mean, I've gotten down on my knees and right face to face and try to calm someone down and just explain to them the different sounds and different things around the plane is normal. And, um, and I understand their fear. Um, just trying to soothe them. Uh, maybe just a touch of the hand or whatever. And if someone, if you had a friend that said, you know, hey, Susie, I, I really want to go to the Bahamas, but I'm paranoid to fly. Do you have any advice for me? Overall, when you think about <clears throat> safety on an aircraft versus safety in a car on a freeway, I try to explain to people, your ride to the airport was more risky than now that you're on the plane. <laughs> My husband always says, I don't fear you flying. I always fear you driving back and forth from the airport back to back and forth to work than the actual flying part. Well, I first of all I want to thank you. Um I like to bring a little bit of the human element to, you know, pe- people just like any service industry, people see a flight attendant as like just the person that's working the plane or the person at the restaurant's taking their food order or whatever. But I like to bring the humanity of people and, and show the world that, you know, hey, everybody's somebody. So to that end, I'm going to ask you a few questions just about you. What's your, uh, what's one of your favorite books? Favorite book? I think one of my favorite books was The Shawshank Redemption. And uh, what about one of your favorite songs? Oh, favorite song? Oh, my gosh. The Hawaiian version of 
uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. What about one of your favorite movies? Oh, this has got to be one of my absolute favorite ones, was Steel Magnolias, only because it puts you through so many emotions within a short period of time. You were laughing, and then within a minute you were crying, and then the next minute you were mad, and then the next minute you were crying again. It just put you through so many different emotions in the movie. It was awesome. I can watch that over and over again. <laughs> uh, Susie, thank you so much for taking the time to come in here today and safe flying. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please join me next week when I interview former Staff Sergeant Edward Gaines. He talks about growing up in South Central Los Angeles, traveling with the U.S. military, and shares his love for good food and New Orleans. It's a great Moonbird episode, so until then, if you'd like some more Moonbird in your life, and hey, who wouldn't? Head on over to memoriesofamoonbird.com or visit me on social media at memoriesofamoonbird.com.